The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Welcome to The Exchange, a conversation with people of interest to business and financial professionals around the world. I'm Rob Cox, the editor of Reuters Breaking Views, the financial commentary arm of the mighty Reuters News. Last week, I spoke with Valdis Dombrovskis, trade commissioner for the European Commission and the official responsible for, quote, an economy that works for people. He's also the former prime minister of his home country of Latvia. We conducted the chat as part of an event hosted by the European American Chamber of Commerce in New York. It took a little while for the commissioner who was in Brussels to warm up, and like all politicians, he was keen to follow his talking points and the commission's many objectives. But after a bit of prodding, I think we got to some insights in how the world's largest economic bloc will get back on its feet, in part thanks to its Hamiltonian moment. That's when the EU effectively used its own balance sheet to raise money to be used by member states for recovery and reconstruction after the pandemic. He also made it clear how much easier it is dealing with U.S. President Joe Biden's administration on trade and other multilateral discussions than it was with the previous one under Donald Trump. No surprise, I guess, but it's worth hearing. Give a listen. As you all know, our guest today is uh, is the official responsible, the trade commissioner for the European Commission, but he also has this kind of funky title. Um, he is the responsible for the economy that works for people. Good afternoon, Commissioner. I thought I thought maybe we'd riff on that for a little bit. So we'll have to start with it, if you're okay with that. Um, so just let's start with a big picture question. How do you rate, where do you think uh, the, the state of the European economy is right now? Yeah, uh, good uh, uh, afternoon and uh, thank you for this uh, introduction. And uh, first of all, of course, uh, thank you for European American Chamber of uh, Commerce uh, New York for inviting me to engage uh, with you today. Uh, 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 my colleagues and myself, we uh, appreciate the important role you play in uh, uh, promoting, putting, moving forward transatlantic business and uh, trade. Uh, and uh, the fact remains that this is the biggest trade and investment uh, uh, relationship uh, in the world. If you look at the transatlantic uh, relationship, our daily exchange of goods and services amounts to 2.7 billion euros. And uh, last year, transatlantic uh, trade flows reached almost 1 trillion euros. Our uh, supply chains are uh, interconnected, uh, supported by mutual uh, investment, uh, which uh, represents 60% uh, of global foreign direct investment. So now, uh, as uh, we emerge from uh, COVID-19 uh, health and economic uh, crisis, we should build on this very strong foundation, support uh, 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 business communities on both sides of the Atlantic. And I think we have a good moment of uh, doing so. We have a clear improvement in uh, atmosphere, uh, a more constructive approach in uh, Washington since the Biden administration took uh, office. Uh, and uh, already in uh, December last year, EU reached out on the proposal for renewed transatlantic uh, agenda. Uh, uh, we think it's in our mutual uh, uh, interest to find new uh, ways and avenues for transatlantic leadership on economic recovery, on the uh, World Trade Organization reform, on climate, technology, uh, global level playing uh, field. Well, uh, as, uh, uh, as regards economic uh, recovery, uh, both uh, EU and US are uh, providing ample fiscal support for their uh, economies to shield uh, businesses and households from income uh, losses uh, and uh, uh, also avoiding surge of insolvencies uh, now uh, during the uh, phase of economic uh, crisis. Uh, and we now have to, in a sense, carefully shift from this emergency relief towards uh, more supporting longer-term resilience of our economies, including by facilitating green and digital uh, transition. So uh, in the EU, uh, our Next Generation EU initiative, uh, together with the next EU long-term budget, will provide 1.8 trillion euros uh, of uh, fiscal support for uh, post-COVID-19 uh, uh, Europe. Uh, in the area of trade, we see that the uh, uh, most important issue is to now address uh, outstanding trade disputes, 
notably in the area of civil aviation and steel and aluminium. Uh, and in a sense, it would be kind of a real uh, test uh, for uh, improvement of our uh, relationships. And there I would say actions uh, speak louder than uh, uh, words. So from the EU side, we uh, clearly uh, showed our willingness to play a constructive uh, role. And uh, we uh, hope to move uh, forward on this uh, expeditiously. Uh, actually, I had a very uh, constructive uh, uh, discussions with Ambassador Tai and uh, Secretary Raimondo, and uh, uh, there will be uh, soon uh, the EU-US summit mid-June, uh, uh, which I uh, hope will show that we are uh, really back to doing business uh, together. And of course, uh, we need support of business community in this uh, regard. Uh, your voice uh, carries a real uh, uh, weight across the Atlantic, and uh, uh, I uh, uh, know that we can count on you to help steer those negotiations in the right uh, direction. So once again, thank you very much uh, for this uh, invitation, and I do look forward for your uh, questions and comments. Thank you for that uh, that introduction. I mean, let me let's uh, let me just sort of get back a, a little bit, look at at the the globe, and put Europe into context. Um, you know, the U.S. is clearly sort of roaring, has been roaring back from the, the, the COVID uh, epidemic. China was already there. I mean, China is the only major economy in the world to have grown even last year. Um, Italy, I think I noticed today, came out with some revised numbers for Q1. It's hardly roaring. Um, it certainly wasn't roaring then. I mean, we're, are you concerned that Europe is, is lagging to some degree, uh, sort of the US or uh, even the UK? as a result, perhaps, of the vaccination rollouts. I mean, what, what, what is your sense? Are we going to have two, a two-speed economy again, where interest rates and, and the growth are, are sort of imbalanced between the US and, and Europe? Is that a concern? Uh, okay, uh, so uh, uh, first, uh, as regards uh, economic recovery, I already provided some uh, figures on the uh, uh, fiscal stimulus we are providing at the EU level, and that's already uh, concentrating on the recovery phase, uh, not counting immediate crisis response uh, measures. And uh, there had been also substantial fiscal stimulus provided at EU uh, member states level, estimated at some 7.5% of EU's GDP, and uh, 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 additional 19% of GDP liquidity uh, uh, measures. So there, I would say, Indeed, one can say we have put forward unprecedented fiscal and monetary uh, stimulus. And our estimates that last year, it helped us to cushion the negative economic uh, impact of COVID-19 uh, uh, by some four percentage points. And indeed, uh, the outcome of last year is uh, nowhere uh, uh, near as bad as the initial uh, pro uh, projections at the beginning of the uh, pandemic. Uh, talking about uh, this year, uh, we expect EU economy to grow by 4.2% and another 4.4% growth uh, next uh, year. So uh, all in all, for the EU as a whole, uh, we expect uh, that uh, EU's economy will return to pre-crisis level already by the end of this year. And uh, all EU member states will return uh, uh, to pre-crisis level by end of 2022, because it's true that uh, the impact of the crisis has been uh, uneven across the EU, and now the speed of recovery is uh, also uh, somewhat uneven. But uh, all in all, uh, by the end of next year, we expect all countries being back at uh, pre-crisis uh, levels. Well, as regards uh, vaccination, yeah, uh, vaccination campaign uh, in the EU is now uh, advancing uh, uh, quite uh, rapidly. In a sense, we have uh, put it on track, and we already see that member states are gradually easing restrictions as, as a result of this rollout of the vaccination. Uh, where probably the difference with US and UK comes is that uh, uh, EU is exporting around half of its vaccine production. Uh, whereas we have not seen uh, exports on substantial scale, for example, from US and uh, UK. Uh, but uh, the point is that uh, we need a, grow, a global rollout on the uh, vaccination. 
uh, to uh, ensure that the entire world population is well vaccinated because uh, 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 we know that with a pandemic, uh, no one is safe un until everyone is safe. Uh, otherwise, the virus will continue to mutate. There will be new variants coming back and forth. So we really need to ensure that we do vaccination not only in the developed world, but uh, across the world. Absolutely. That's right. I mean, just staying a little bit on the vaccination question, what lessons did do you think the EU should draw from the way it handled the ordering, the purchasing and the incentives around vaccines? I mean, one of the reasons the US, the UK, not to mention Israel, um, are further along and are going to see higher growth rates this year is because they were quicker to roll out the vaccines. They had a much more streamlined process. As a result, they arguably saved more lives, minimized the scars. On the economy is the eu i mean are you and your colleagues sort of have you done some analysis of this to come up with to figure out how god forbid and but not just god forbid we will have to have this kind of a, you know this will happen again is there some lesson that the eu has learned about the the, the way it handled um in particular the vaccines that it that it could do a better job next time well, uh, first of all, uh, uh, if we look at the vaccination rollout, I already mentioned the uh, crucial uh, difference. Uh, I don't have the latest figures at hand, uh, but uh, uh, there has been uh, uh, around 200 million uh, vaccine doses exports from the EU uh, to other countries. But those are commercial uh, agreements, Commissioner, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, those are commercial agreements. That's not a... If you look, if uh, other developing countries are uh, blocking uh, the exports either legally or uh, by some contractual arrangements. Uh, of course, it's uh, hindering the global rollout of the vaccines. And uh, so far, uh, EU has uh, uh, really has been the only developed economy which has contributed to this global uh, rollout on the uh, massive scale. So uh, as regards uh, the uh, contracts, actually, uh, there has been uh, primarily uh, problem with uh, one uh, contract, it's not uh, uh, secreted with uh, AstraZeneca, with other companies, uh, in a sense, we are getting uh, 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 along. And uh, in, in fact, to the extent uh, it, it was that the BioNTech Pfizer stepped in in the certain void left by AstraZeneca and accelerated some of the supplies uh, to the EU so that we could uh, 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 accelerate our vaccination rollout also at this period when uh, AstraZeneca is not really uh, delivering what is meant to deliver. Well, uh, this uh, dispute is currently uh, being um, sorted by uh, legal means, so I cannot uh, uh, pros uh, 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 discuss more on, the, uh, on this ongoing uh, process. But uh, uh, of course, uh, it's something which we need to look uh, because uh, 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 there may well be the need that first we need to uh, continue the vaccine rollout globally and EU will continue to contribute to this also through our uh, advanced purchase agreements and through our uh, uh, contributions to the COVAX facility. Uh, uh, but uh, there may uh, be a need also of some uh, periodical revaccination. Re there is uh, still, in a sense, uh, science going on. So in, uh, we uh, continue actually to uh, uh, um, ensure that there is some more uh, contracts and more supplies coming to the EU uh, should this need arise. Okay. Um, but I mean, I guess I still, do you, are you happy? I mean, is the EU, are you and your fellow commissioners, uh, do you, have you gone back to understand whether these criticisms that the EU was too sluggish or bureaucratic in, in, in ordering vaccines or in working with the uh, private uh, providers and producers of vaccines. Have you, has that conversation taken place in Brussels? Well, I already uh, told, of course, we are uh, doing the assessment of the contracts. We are doing uh, assessment how we move uh, forward. Uh, but uh, the fact is that there was a problem with uh, one company massively uh, under delivering. Right, yeah. Okay, let's turn away from vaccines. We'll, we'll get to think about those for the rest of our lives, I'm guessing. But um, just one other, you know, sort of big economic question. If you look, the global financial markets have been exceptionally robust despite all the damage uh, that COVID-19 has inflicted on the real economy. Asset prices are skyrocketing everywhere. Um, there, there's, you know, you feel like you're in a bubble territory where there's new financial products that are that are, you know, gaining everybody's attention. 
I'm just curious, you know, given your other role, your other title, is this an economy that works for people, or is this just an, an economy that just works for some people who are fortunate enough to invest in stock markets and hedge funds, that kind of thing? Are you worried about what's happening with asset prices as a result of some of the fiscal and monetary stimulus uh, that governments have have put into the the economies as a result of the pandemic? Yeah, that's why when we are uh, uh, discussing our uh, support uh, package uh, for the um, COVID-19 uh, crisis at the EU and also recovery package, uh, we are uh, focusing a lot on uh, what we uh, call inclusive recovery. So mm -hmm. looking indeed how the crisis is affecting income inequality and what uh, targeted uh, measures need to be done to address this uh, income inequality. Uh, already during the crisis, we rolled out uh, a, a specific measure, which we called SURE, which was there to support uh, short-term work schemes and similar uh, schemes in EU member states to, to the extent uh, possible, uh, preserve employment during the crisis uh, to avoid that people are being uh, laid off on massive uh, scale. Uh, right now, uh, we uh, came out uh, with a new uh, recommendation to EU member states, uh, so-called EASE uh, recommendation, uh, 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 focusing on how uh, 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 member states can uh, support uh, the workers through active labour market uh, policies, uh, 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 and also in a context of green and digital um, uh, transformation of our economy uh, because uh, as you know we have ambitious goals in terms of uh, climate neutrality by 2050 so green uh, transformation well digitalization of the economy uh, are is ongoing full speed and our very today's uh, 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 format uh, is is just another manifestation of this so um, uh, but it will have also substantial uh, uh, implications on uh, uh, labor market structures and uh, jobs. So we need to see how we are uh, actually supporting this uh, job transitions also in a context of green and digital uh, transition. And just recently, uh, we also approved as the European Commission, and it was now also endorsed by EU member states, uh, an action plan on the European pillar of social rights, uh, uh, really focusing on this uh, a social dimension of the EU, ensuring that not only we have economic recovery, but it's inclusive recovery, and we are not uh, leaving uh, anyone behind. Got it. Um, you've already, we've talked a bit about the fiscal stimulus measures. I, I'm, I'm thinking about some of the other more structural questions. So during the, uh, in the pandemic, there was a decision to, to basically set aside some of the provisions of the growth and st the stability and growth pact. Um, is that, can we assume that, that those will be, those are temporary measures will become permanent? Uh, well, uh, uh, actually, uh, 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 we have already provided some uh, guidance from European Commission side on this, indeed. So what we have done uh, now during the crisis, uh, we activated so-called general escape uh, clause, meaning we are not setting uh, quantitative budget deficit targets for EU uh, member states. Uh, and uh, we have uh, already uh, communicated that uh, uh, we uh, would uh, continue to apply this general escape clause uh, also next year. So we expect EU's uh, aggregate uh, fiscal stance to be uh, supportive uh, both uh, this year and uh, next. Uh, and uh, we would disapply this general escape clause as of uh, 2023. Uh, of course, uh, on, on one hand, uh, we will need to acknowledge that uh, we'll then start with a different uh, position in terms of uh, public debt and uh, deficit, uh, so something which will need to be uh, taken into account. And also this autumn, uh, we will relaunch a a public consultation, so to say, on the future of EU uh, fiscal rules. Uh, we're having this discussion, so uh, uh, we uh, would uh, uh, need to, to see how uh, we, on one hand, uh, 
uh, uh, ensure um, medium-term fiscal sustainability and, on the other hand, uh, support uh, economic uh, recovery. So how we are finding the right balance also in a post-crisis context. Right. Okay. No, I understand that. But it just feels like, you know, the old measures of things like 60% of debt to GDP, 3% deficit GDP, those kinds of me measures seem, I don't know, they, they seem antiquated in a, in a period of global pandemic response. Well, that's why we activated the general escape clause, which is part of our fiscal rules, actually. Yeah. Uh, and which is very uh, clear that if we are uh, facing a, a severe uh, economic uh, uh, downturn, uh, we can activate this general uh, escape clause. And that's exactly the conditions we are currently in. Uh, and uh, we are uh, gradually uh, ex expecting uh, that um, economy will be rebounding. We, as I said, expect actually that by the end of the year, uh, EU as a whole already will reach pre-crisis level in terms of economic output, but we will keep the general escape uh, clause activated for another year, for also 2022, to uh, roll uh, uh, well into the recovery. And if we look at our, uh, I was also mentioning next generation EU package, uh, which is our uh, economic recovery plan. Uh, this is for the first time financed by the common borrowing at the EU level. So those member states which are using the grants uh, from this uh, package uh, are having a fiscal stimulus, but it's not adding to their national uh, deficit and debt. So it also helps to provide uh, a fiscal stimulus while not uh, creating additional uh, problems with uh, fiscal sustainability. Yeah, I know it's quite a sort of, as people have called it, a sort of um, Hamiltonian moment for the European Union. How concerned are you about um, now that money it will be uh, raised on a sort of on a on a, a ultranational or do you want to call it supranational basis? It will then go to the various states, some of the largest, of course, Italy and others. Um, what what concerns do you as at the commission have about the way that capital is allocated? I mean, you do have obvious safeguards um, that are in place, but maybe explain a little bit, you know, just for those of us who are, you know, worry that I, I come from the United States, you've seen, you can see capital go as it goes and simmers down and filters down to different states. It builds things that are not always, you know, deemed in, in the long run to have been good decisions. How do you how do you feel about how this money will be spent? Yeah, uh, on this, uh, uh, there are um, indeed, I would say, quite important uh, safeguards uh, at the EU level. First, the aim of the recovery uh, uh, plan is not just to get the economy going, uh, but really uh, to help with the green and digital transformation of the economy. So the first two elements which are important is uh, uh, green and digital mainstreaming targets. So the biggest part of this plan is so-called recovery and resilience facility. So 37% uh, of this uh, allocation uh, needs to go to the uh, plants which are linked uh, with a move towards carbon neutrality, so linked with a green transition. 20% uh, of the money needs to be uh, allocated to the plants related to digital uh, transition. And of course, it's being assessed also then on uh, uh, concrete uh, projects, uh, uh, concrete, uh, concrete initiatives level, whether it's really uh, reaching these goals. For the so, avoidance of uh, doubt, not concrete though, because it is very, very bad for the economy <laughs> or uh, for the uh, for emissions. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, that's why there is uh, those uh, targets on green and uh, digital, yeah. and then there is also linked with uh, structural reforms. So when we coordinate fiscal and macroeconomic policies uh, in EU, uh, we have the so-called European Semester. Actually, just tomorrow we are going to have the spring package uh, of, of the semester, which we are going to present publicly. Uh, so, uh, and uh, there are uh, country-specific recommendations to EU member states concerning some structural weaknesses in the economy. 
So we are assessing how uh, member states are addressing those structural weaknesses and they can also uh, receive money for implementing certain structural uh, reforms. So that's another uh, important element. And uh, then, uh, of course, there are uh, also uh, quite uh, strong safeguards in, in, in terms of audit and control, just to make sure that, generally speaking, uh, uh, money is well spent and uh, it goes really uh, where it's uh, uh, foreseen to go according to the member states' uh, plans. So uh, each member state has to submit their recovery and resilience plans, and it's basically happening right now. Uh, uh, most member states have already submitted their plans, so we will be doing the assessment of those plans, and if we will find them in line with the uh, 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 conditions of recovery and resilience facility, uh, we will start disbursing. And also then, member states will receive the money uh, subject to implementation of investment projects and uh, reforms. So uh, really, uh, I would say in terms of ensuring that the money is uh, spent uh, to according to foreseen uh, uh, priorities, we have enough uh, safeguards in place to ensure that. Um, let me turn to the United, the relationship with the United States, which is a key, a key plank of this conversation. I mean, you uh, mentioned that you've had good, good relationship or started to have good relationships with uh, U.S. Trade Representative, Representative Catherine Tai uh, and the Secretary of Commerce, Gina Raimondo. That's great. Um, maybe, you know, give a, maybe paint for us a little bit of a picture. How is the transition from the Trump, how would you characterize the transition from Trump administration to the Biden administration in all of the various touch points that you have uh, or you've experienced from the, the, the two sides? Uh, well, uh, uh, as I said, certainly uh, there is a uh, positive uh, change and uh, uh, it, it's, it's important that EU and US are strategic allies, so we need to work uh, together. Uh, so we uh, see, in a sense, much more uh, engagement both bilaterally but also on a number of uh, multilateral uh, uh, forum. So just to uh, show some uh, positive developments since the beginning of Biden administration, we have agreed to the mutual suspension of the tariffs in uh, Airbus Boeing dispute. Uh, we uh, agreed uh, to work to resolve by the end of the year steel and aluminium uh, dispute. Uh, 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 in terms of multilateralism, uh, uh, U.S. Uh, has uh, returned to the Paris Agreement. There is much more engagement with the World Trade Organization and the reform of World Trade uh, Organization. Uh, uh, we are now uh, on a positive track on setting a transatlantic uh, trade and technology council to cooperate in uh, areas of uh, new and uh, emerging technologies, international a standard setting and, and, and so on. So uh, all in all, there is a positive uh, momentum and uh, we can build on this. We are going to have um, EU-US uh, uh, summit uh, in the middle of the June and uh, we hope this will give, in a sense, additional impetus to this uh, work. And I mean, I, have, I had written a question here. What do you perceive to be the main areas of difference between the two administrations? From what it sounds like is, you mentioned positive, so I mean, it sounds to me like it was it was very it was vast on any number of, uh, of issues in terms of black, white, night, day, um, positive, negative. I mean, was is uh, I guess the question then is that's I mean, if it's positive now, you're working forward on some of these issues, whether it's the Airbus Boeing dispute, which I mean, that's been going on for something like 15 years. Um, good luck with that. But it's things like steel and aluminum and then the retaliatory tariffs that Europe put on those. Uh, I guess I'm just the problem you have that that any ally of the United States must take into account is the fact that in a couple of years there'll be a new president. And if as you saw the swings from the Biden from the Obama administration to the Trump administration to the Biden administration, what you know, what safeguards or what guarantees or can you all have that it won't just go back to another America first type approach in a couple of years? Uh, well, uh, first of all, uh, EU is a union of uh, 27 uh, democracies, and there are always 
some kind of elections somewhere in the EU. So in a sense, we are That's used to the fact that there are uh, elections that governments are changing, uh, uh, but it it doesn't mean that EU is therefore radically uh, changing uh, track uh, every uh, time. And that's why uh, I was emphasizing at the very beginning this uh, uh, strategic approach, that uh, uh, we are strategic allies, and uh, uh, I would say uh, maybe with uh, uh, some exception uh, of Trump administration, there is a, also a broad uh, bipartisan support uh, in uh, uh, US on, on, on this. Broadly speaking, nobody is uh, calling into question uh, the need uh, to uh, cooperate and work uh, closely with the EU. Uh, so, uh, uh, so uh, uh, I think we can cooperate very uh, closely, and from uh, uh, from our side, we are really willing to uh, to, to uh, work on this, build uh, this uh, momentum, uh, and uh, uh, broadly speaking, expect, expecting that this uh, strategic uh, direction of the work uh, is uh, going to stay. Of course, if there are new administrations, there are always some new uh, uh, aspects, nuances, some corrections. This is something uh, uh, to be uh, 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 counted with. But as I said, also in the EU, there are all the time some kind of elections. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, there is. I mean, I guess I guess any democracy is by definition going to be less stable, perhaps, than a dictatorship. But um, but it certainly has been quite amazing to see the swing between the last two um, the last two administrations I guess going back just going a little bit more detail about some of these these issues between Washington and Brussels um, uh, so you, you you announced the start of discussions to resolve the, the trade dispute around steel and aluminum which in turn led to retaliatory tariffs on some American products uh, you, you say that you've given your you've all agreed to a deadline by the end of the year so um, what will it take for me to get my bourbon whiskey and peanut butter in Europe without all those extra taxes, Commissioner? What's going to what's where where what are the sent the issues that are going to have to 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 be grasped grappled with? Well, uh, uh, yeah, on uh, steel and uh, aluminium, uh, indeed, that's uh, one uh, dispute left us uh, from the Trump era. So uh, uh, we now agreed that we need uh, to uh, uh, resolve it uh, and. Uh, there are, uh, I would say, uh, uh, several uh, dimensions uh, to this. One is, of course, uh, most uh, obvious, uh, the, uh, the uh, Section 2C2 tariffs in itself uh, as, a, as a fact, uh, because uh, uh, those are tariffs which are imposed on national security ground. And in a sense, we are not accepting this notion that EU is national security threat to the US. And, and uh, the Biden administration seems to acknowledge this as well. Uh, so uh, uh, there is a willingness to uh, 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 to work to remove those tariffs uh, while looking also how we uh, uh, see it in a broader context of global uh, steel overcapacity, which is an issue which uh, both sides agree, and we need to see uh, how we proceed uh, for, uh, forward by protecting our industries both in EU and uh, US. So this is. Uh, Certainly, it uh, requires uh, some work to be uh, done uh, between now and then. Uh, so, um, well, uh, when uh, you will have your uh, bourbon <laughs> whiskey. Uh, 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 I have it, it's just I don't want to spend the extra. In the EU. Uh, well, we actually uh, came forward with a proposal on mutual suspension of the tariffs. Uh, uh, then uh, you could have had it already now if it was uh, agreed, like we agreed, for example, uh, on uh, aircraft dispute, which is also we uh, came forward with this proposal on mutual suspension and we agreed. And now we hopefully will resolve this dispute by uh, uh, what was it, 10th or 11th of July, when is the deadline. Um, uh, and uh, uh, similarly, uh, I think that should be the end destination also for uh, steel and aluminium uh, tariffs. At some moment, we should be suspending uh, uh, on uh, on uh, US side. We should be suspending our retaliatory tariffs. Uh, well, not talking about a second stage of the uh, rebalancing, uh, and uh, uh, see uh, how uh, we can jointly address the problem of global overcapacity. And what, what, yeah, what, what do you, let's turn to, to the aviation, civil aviation dispute. I mean, that's been going on for something like 16 years. What gives you confidence that 
now it's the is the time that after 15, 16 years of this, there is an actual opportunity to do this. What gives you hope, confidence? Uh, well, uh, 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 first of all, uh, as I said, we um, uh, 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 managed to agree to mutually suspend the tariffs which we had been imposing on uh, each other in, in, in the context of this dispute. Uh, and there is agreement on where we need to land. So we need to agree uh, on the uh, principles of disciplines in the area of uh, uh, civil uh, civilization or well, large civil aircraft manufacturing. Uh, and uh, uh, based on this, uh, we can uh, put uh, the tariffs uh, so to the, uh, to the rest for good uh, and put this uh, case uh, also uh, behind us. And there is willingness, and I, I uh, definitely from EU side, and I clearly sense it also from the US side to put this dispute behind us. Indeed, it has been uh, 16 years. It's uh, long uh, enough uh, time. And uh, uh, I think right now there is this uh, uh, momentum and our uh, uh, teams of uh, DG Trade in the EU and USTR in, in US are working very intensively uh, to make sure that by the deadline of uh, uh, July, we actually have this uh, agreement on future disciplines and that uh, allows us to kind of put this uh, dispute to the rest right what um interesting can, can i let's turn the, the other question the, when i think about the trump era and and the, the sort of residual feeling at least conventional wisdom in the u.s in washington is that um joe biden hasn't and won't do much to change the approach towards china and there is this sort of view of a sort of economic cold war between the US and, and China. And, and I guess the question then is par partly is where does Europe stand if that is if the two giant economies of the world uh, are in dispute? Where, you know, how does Europe deal with that? Is there, a, is there an opportunity at, with the new administration? Are you finding this opportunity, whether it's with uh, Commerce Secretary Raimondo or uh, Ambassador Tai to kind of join up in the approach to uh, addressing some of the what you call the market distortions of the uh, People's Republic in the global economy? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, absolutely. Uh, and we had already uh, discussions on uh, this and we uh, share a number of concerns which come from the uh, socio-economic uh, model of uh, China, for example, uh, industrial subsidies and transparency of industrial uh, subsidies, uh, uh, role of uh, state-owned uh, enterprises in China and its uh, potential uh, uh, distortive effects on global trade, uh, forced technology transfers, uh, intellectual property rights. So we uh, share uh, all those uh, concerns and we agree that we should be working together to address them. Uh, we should be working together, uh, uh, coordinate our work bilaterally, also trilaterally with Japan, uh, and also in multilateral context in a context of the WTO reform. Uh, because if you look at the proposals which EU has put forward for the WTO reform, uh, many of those proposals are actually linked with ensuring global level playing field and addressing uh, a number of distortive practices of uh, China. And there uh, we uh, see uh, US as an uh, important ally. And I would say there is a mutual willingness to, uh, to coordinate this work and work uh, very closely together. And so the European Parliament recently warned China that it won't ratify uh, so that business agreement that had been uh, put forward a couple months back. So long as sanctions against some EU legislators remain in place, what is the position of the, um, of the Commission on this? Well, uh, indeed, that's a resolution which has been uh, passed by the uh, European uh, uh, Parliament, because when uh, EU imposes sanctions on human rights uh, violations uh, uh, concerning Uyghurs, uh, China responded by uh, imposing uh, sanctions uh, on a number of uh, EU uh, uh, individuals and entities, including uh, members of European uh, Parliament. So that was, I would say, a relatively predictable uh, reaction from the European uh, Parliament. 
uh, already uh, before that from the European uh, uh, Commission side, we had been uh, very uh, clear that on, on one hand, uh, uh, there is um, economic rationale for this argument to address the imbalance in our economic uh, relations uh, and there are substantial elements in this agreement in terms of market access, in terms of level playing field, also in terms of sustainable development to address this uh, imbalance. But we uh, cannot uh, look at the process of ratification of this agreement outside the broader context of EU-China uh, uh, relations. And uh, I think this uh, resolution of European Parliament is a clear uh, manifestation of that. Right. Um, let me turn back to Europe a little bit and talk about green stuff, as it were. So I, last week I was speaking to the boss, the head of a very large steel producer in Italy, and they're looking at investing billions of dollars to basically decarbonize their the, the, the process of steel, which is, you know, you know, is one of the biggest and most difficult polluters um, uh, or, or emitters of carbon dioxide. Uh, they they want to do this. They want to bring in clean hydrogen. It's going to it's going to be a huge investment and it's going to make the cost of Italian made steel relative you know, higher. It's going to be more expensive. You know, the issue is like, that for them is, well, what about China or India or even the United States, countries that aren't, that may not be holding their steel producers uh, accountable in the same way when it comes to carbon emissions. How does the, how do you think about that? What is just your way of thinking philosophically and then in a more detailed perspective on sort of climate related border adjustments? Well, uh, that's uh, exactly uh, the point. Now, uh, when uh, as EU, we have decided to uh, move towards carbon neutrality by uh, 2050, uh, it's uh, clear that we cannot uh, continue with uh, uh, free emission allocations to uh, 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 energy intensive uh, industries. But at the same time, we need to deal uh, with the problem of carbon uh, leakage because indeed it requires additional investment to decarbonize the uh, uh, production of steel or cement or, uh, or other uh, energy intensive uh, industries. Uh, and uh, uh, correspondingly, indeed, we are currently preparing a proposal on carbon border adjustment mechanism uh, to ad address exactly this uh, problem for those uh, uh, countries where the uh, environmental emission standards are uh, not as uh, strict as the EU, in a sense, to uh, uh, compensate this uh, uh, difference on emission pricing uh, at the border. Uh, so, uh, and uh, in terms of uh, US, um, well, US is currently uh, looking at this uh, issue because. Uh, as now US has returned to the uh, Paris Agreement and will be reducing its emissions, US also will be uh, confronting the same issue of uh, potential carbon leakage and uh, will uh, need to address it one way or another. Uh, and that's probably where also uh, from the EU side, in a sense, we are happy to share our uh, experience and this uh, work on uh, carbon border adjustment mechanism, which is currently ongoing. Interesting. So. It's wait. It, it, it's all to be seen. The, the, the interesting point about it, just just to, to zero in a little bit on this Italian steel producer, which is it's a, it's, a, it's always in the headlines in Italy. It's called Ilva. It was called Ilva, um, and I'm sure you know about it. But it's um, those decisions about decarbonizing and you know getting rid of a blast furnace, putting in electric arc furnace, putting in hydrogen, all this kind of stuff. Those investments are are there a today problem. They're, they're decisions that have to be made right now. And a lot of the money that is coming from the recovery fund or, or the, the um, next generation fund will be used for that purpose. It's just, you know, what's the timeline? How quickly can you draft these border adjustment rules uh, to make sure that those, the capital that's allocated isn't, isn't uh, misallocated? Uh, well, uh, as regards uh, carbon border adjustment uh, mechanism, we are uh, planning uh, the legislative proposal from the European uh, Commission side next month. Uh, and uh, uh, well, normally, if legislative uh, process uh, uh, goes uh, according to the plan, it uh, should uh, start applying as of uh, 2023. Uh, uh, 
and uh, in, in terms of uh, challenges, well, uh, uh, carbon neutrality we are seeking by 2050. So in a sense, it's a, a long-term perspective. It's uh, almost 30 years. But we also put uh, more uh, stringent emission reduction targets from 2030. So 55% emission reduction instead of 40% emission reduction. So uh, there are also some uh, medium-term intermediary targets. Right. Um, quickly, uh, let me let me go and look at some questions that folks have put forward. It'll take me one second to just look. Okay. Let me. Here's one. Good one. Are any conversations with the Biden administration? Um, are you having conversations with the Biden administration about when the U.S. and Euro Europe will open borders for business travelers from both sides? Companies on both sides of the Atlantic are in obscure situations. They can neither travel nor plan their business meetings. Is Are we going to see that happen sometime soon? Well, uh, I'm uh, sure that the relevant uh, colleagues and uh, services are definitely having those conversations. Uh, you know, in European Commission, we are each responsible for certain policy areas. I'm responsible for economy, for trade, uh, but uh, not, not for uh, transport and not for uh, public health. But I'm sure that the colleagues who are dealing with these issues uh, are uh, in uh, contact. I mean, it's certainly important to trade that there is the free movement of, of people. So I suppose in that that's in that sense, it must be part of your sort of corner dossier. Yeah, but the, uh, generally speaking, we uh, expect that the situation uh, is um, uh, 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 is uh, going to uh, normalize relatively uh, soon. The vaccination campaigns are advancing in EU. We are. Uh, launching uh, uh, also presumably as of July what we call a digital green uh, certificate uh, which uh, uh, would allow uh, for uh, travel uh, uh, within the EU to and from the EU for people who are uh, fully uh, uh, vaccinated uh, by the vaccines recognized by European Medicines Authority, which are, well, all the classical Western yeah. uh, vaccines, uh, and uh, without uh, requirements of uh, testing or, or, or quarantine. Uh, so, uh, uh, so I think it will uh, arrive uh, pretty soon, and uh, at, at the first stage, uh, people who are vaccinated will be able to travel without those additional requirements, and uh, as situation uh, normalizes, I think we'll be able to move uh, also away from those restrictions. All right. Um, the European Union put forward a plan it believes will help boost the production and availability of vaccines, which you just referenced in, in your response, uh, more effectively than a proposed waiver which of patent rights, which came out of uh, the Biden administration. Where is, is that going to be a conversation that you have with um, your American counterparts when you have that mid-year summit? Well, actually, uh, we already had uh, discussions on uh, this with our uh, counterparts. Uh, and indeed, uh, 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 from the EU side, uh, we are going to uh, put forward this uh, proposal uh, to the TRIPS Council in the World Trade Organization, which is an entity dealing with this uh, a question. So we think uh, there are three, uh, three aspects which are uh, important uh, for a successful global uh, rollout of uh, vaccines. Uh, one uh, is uh, uh, already, as I was mentioning, uh, removing uh, export uh, restrictions, export bans in developed countries, ensuring that the vaccines, in, in a sense, immediately start flowing to the uh, developing countries. Uh, second is the uh, uh, ramping up of uh, vaccine uh, production through uh, partnership between uh, uh, companies having the uh, necessary intellectual property, having the necessary know-how, and uh, companies, uh, including in developing countries, which have spare manufacturing uh, capacity. Uh, and the uh, third aspect is, uh, and in a sense, this kind of cooperation is already uh, happening. Uh, and the third aspect is uh, intellectual uh, property rights, where we have uh, voluntary licensing arrangements. But uh, in a context of uh, emergency, there is already foreseen also a possibility for a compulsory licensing uh, arrangements, which also can be uh, deployed in 
current uh, uh, situation. So those are, those are uh, I would say, the three main uh, elements of the uh, proposal we are uh, going to put forward. Okay. Um, I'm going to hand it over. I think we've covered quite a bit of ground here. I'm going to hand this back to Yvonne to uh, to close things up. Yvonne, shall I hand the mic to you? You can. Uh, you can, Rob. Thank you for that. Um, we had one more question from the audience that I would like to uh, um, raise um, really quickly, um, at, um, Commissioner Dombrovskis, if you allow me. Um, the EU and the US and most nations are incredibly increasing debt to fund the recovery. Um, when will the debt level re um, be um, reduced to a, to a manageable level or are we getting ourselves in over our heads on this? I know this is a question that comes up all the time on our end. Uh, well, uh, indeed, uh, and uh, something we are also uh, very much uh, discussing in the EU. Uh, and uh, in a sense, uh, uh, guidance we are providing uh, for the EU member states. That right now, indeed, it's important to ensure uh, supportive fiscal uh, position, uh, including this year, uh, next year. Uh, but already uh, we are introducing some uh, element of the differentiation uh, uh, for high debt countries, where we, in a sense, uh, urge for somewhat more uh, prudence while providing stimulus for investment using the grants from our uh, uh, recovery and resilience facility, uh, but in a sense also to have uh, control on current expenditure uh, to ensure that uh, 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 once economic situation allows, they can put public finances uh, on uh, 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 so to say sustainable uh, track and differentiation with uh, low countries where probably there is uh, somewhat more room uh, uh, for uh, maneuver and uh, when we are discussing uh, now future of the uh, EU uh, fiscal rules actually how to address high debt levels how to also ensure contracyclicality not only in bad economic times but also in good economic times uh, are uh, very much the topics which we are going to discuss so uh, yeah. I, I would say it's it's uh, it's uh, very much an issue also in the eu yeah and you said you set me right up for the next question and and i know we we discussed it um when when you were here live um and we hosted you for dinner with our with some of our members um, capital markets union. Um, how um, you know? How is that? Um, how is that developing in your view? Is this going to be expedited by the uh, um, by the commonly issued um, bonds, or um, how do you see that developing? Uh, well, uh, as regards uh, capital markets uh, union, uh, uh, indeed we uh, uh, continue to work on this, and uh, we continue to see it as a priority because. Uh, 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 if we compare with the US economy, EU economy, EU companies are much more dependent on bank financing, on loans, uh, and uh, we want to uh, promote uh, more use of capital markets uh, instruments. So this work is uh, uh, ongoing and will be, uh, uh, well, we already have uh, agreed and finalized the number of proposals and uh, 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 later this year will come with a new proposals to advance this capital markets union. Uh, as regards our commonly issued uh, bonds, uh, indeed, uh, it uh, will also uh, contribute to this. Uh, in a sense, it will contribute uh, to the role of euro as a reserve uh, currency. Uh, because for reserve currency, you need um, safe assets in euros where to invest and with a uh, uh next generation eu uh, bonds we will uh, provide uh, i would say ample uh, support uh, of those safe assets which are going to stay in the market for decades that's our show for this week thanks to our producer freddie joiner in new york our final thanks go to you our listeners for checking in subscribe to the exchange and our sister podcast the views room on itunes spotify or wherever you go to get good quality podcasts and check us out every day at breakingviews.com thank you